Father God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that we can um, dig into your word, and we thank you for the way that you speak to us through it, and I pray that this would give us hope, that um, that this would be an encouragement to us, and that this would ultimately cause us to worship you um, with greater joy and devotion and uh, hope and looking forward to uh, the day when we will see you face-to-face, God. So be with us, be with those that are on their way, God, and we ask for um, for just a... Uh, Good things to happen in this classroom and as well as uh, the rest of this day as we uh, worship with the rest of the congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, cool. So we are going through Psalm 72. So we've gone through a number of different psalms. Um, I think we've gone through imprecatory psalms. We've gone through, uh, what type of psalm did Andrew do? He did a, um, a lament. Lament psalm. And then there was one more that he did. I forget I which one. Thanksgiving, Psalm of Thanksgiving. So today we're going to go through, this is called a royal psalm or a psalm of enthronement. And this is a psalm talking about a king. So we're going to go through this. Um, we've got 20 verses. So I'm going to ask uh, everyone to read four verses. Um, Aikman, can you do the first four? Harry, the next four. Lisa, Trace, and Tommy, can you uh, go ahead and let, we'll listen to what this psalm has to say. All right, let's start. Yeah. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Sisera bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land, and on the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruits be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him, all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever, may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayer of David, the son of Jesse, Mark, and Thanks. Okay. So, um... As we look at this psalm, um, we're going to look at how this fits into the rest of the book of Psalms. So I'm going to uh, take Psalm number two, which is also a royal psalm, and then we'll look at it in context and see how does this, how do royal psalms fit into the rest of um, the book of Psalms? So it's not that each psalm is a standalone, um, standalone psalm that is just completely on its own. These are connected. There's a there's a theme to all the psalms and. Um, and when we look at these psalms in context, it'll help us understand better the the uh, significance of what's being said in these uh, in this royal psalms. So we're gonna start with Psalm one. And Psalm one, if you uh, 
it, it's it's uh, one of the most well-known psalms, and it talks about, um, well, here's a description of it, Psalm 1. It's the description of the truly happy person. So I'll read verses 1 and 2 from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And um, in this psalm, it, it talks about the type of person who God truly blesses. This is the type of person who lives the type of life that he's supposed to live, and uh, this is what makes him truly happy. This is how we were intended to live. So the psalm here tells us that the uh, the type of person that God truly blesses, the type of person that is truly happy, is the one who meditates um, on the law of the Lord, um, the person who understands what it means to obey God. So uh, as we continue on in the Psalm 1, we don't have it here, but you guys can look at it on your own later. You can uh, open your Bibles if you want. But um, basically, blessing and prosperity are promised for the person who obeys God and listens to what he has to say and takes delight in it. So we come to royal, uh, Psalm 2, which is a royal psalm. And um, in this psalm, uh, we're going to read... Uh, actually, let me have uh, Nathan. Can you read Psalm two, uh, the verses I have here, verses 1 through 6, and then I'll explain more uh, how this fits in with Psalm 1 and Psalm 3. Mm-hmm. Why are the nations in an uproar, and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together, against the Lord and against his anointed, saying... Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Okay, so again, this is a royal psalm like Psalm 72. And what the psalm is saying is that there are people that are going against the work of God. They're, they're uh, their faces turned against God, and they are the enemies of God. And here, the psalm says, in contrast to the people that are truly blessed, remember the truly blessed people, the truly happy people, are the ones who who um, take delight in their standing before God, versus these other people, um, people who plot in vain, verse 2, kings, who take the, take, kings of the earth who take their stand, the rulers who take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. So this is in contrast to the happy, blessed man in Psalm 1. And uh, and the psalm continues on. It talks about this is the type of person that is that God is against. And God is going to say to these people who want to live on their own by their own rules, he's going to say, I'm going to strike these people down. I'm going to show them who is truly king. So... Psalm 2, it's the reason that one can be blessed in spite of all the opposition against God and his people. The reason we can be blessed is because, uh, I have have here the summary of Psalm 2, so you guys can also read the rest of Psalm 2 when you get a chance. The Lord reigns, and this is kind of the running theme throughout the book of Psalms, is that God is in control, God is king, and if we are to be truly happy, if we are to live the life that we're intended to live, we need to understand that God is king. So it means that even if there are people against us, we recognize that God is king. And then Psalm 3. And this was written, um, so David had a son, uh, his name was Absalom, and then he, he w- was rebellious against David. And um, and this is a psalm that David wrote. And then kind of to set us up to, or set us up to think about Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, um, we have this message that's, God is in control, 
and the king is in control. The true king is in control. But here, it, this is Psalm, or this is David, a king, who's writing. He's kind of he's kind of um, remembering the the situation that he's in, and he's saying, um, and and the question that may be running through our minds is, okay, how can David, the king, be in control when he can't even? How can he be in control of the kingdoms around him or his own kingdom when he can't even control his own son? So. Um, Melissa, can I have you read uh, Psalm 3, verses 1 through 3? O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation from him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. All right, so we have the uh, rural psalms in context, and we see kind of this, um, it's it's not a uh, constant pattern in the psalms, but then we see this, we see this uh, kind of, throughout this, the book of Psalms is that there are people that we, we have this description of people that are what that are obedient to God, the people that are blessed, the people that are happy. And why can we be happy? It's because God is in control. It's because that our king is ruling. And then um, and then Psalm 3, take this as a, kind of a, an example. Um, examples of people going against the people of God. It's, it's casting doubt on, does God really reign? Can I really have confidence? And the, the, one of the messages that rings out throughout the Psalms is, yes, you can have confidence because your king is in control. So um, let's look at this uh, next section, the long line of throne warmers to um, help us better understand the significance of the royal Psalms. Um, let me just, uh, before we get here, let me just... Um, uh, have us think about our own situation. Um, are there are there kings or presidents that uh, have let their people down? There's I, you could probably think of tons, right? Like I, just in the news this week, it was um uh, in I think it was Uganda. The the president um, Charles Taylor, he's a dictator, and um, the, he uh, the situation with with that country is this guy has been president for thirty years and. Um, this past election, there were tons and tons of people who went went to extraordinary measures to vote to get this guy out of office because he was so corrupt, he was so uh, unjust, there was so much violence in his administration, and a, lo- a whole bunch of people in the country hated the situation they were in. They said, here's our, here's our chance to do something about it. So people came out in droves to vote against Charles Taylor, the evil president. Um, what happened? At the end of the at the end of the election, the votes were tallied, and it, the the official results were um, a, the majority of of people voted for Charles Taylor, and everyone was it was in an uproar because they said there was no way that that all these people voted voted for this evil president because so many people went out of their way to vote against him, and it was really obvious to a lot of people that there was corruption in the land. In our own situations um, in the United States, whether we've had Democratic presidents or, or Republican presidents, they've all let the United States down in one way or another. Um, in our own in our own lives, maybe some type of authority figure, maybe a boss or parents, people that we thought that we could trust, people that are supposed to watch over us and protect us and rule over us um, in goodness, they've let us down. So we have a lo- so I think in all of us we're kind of disillusions from the uh, the people that are supposed to rule over us. 
Um, but still, we want someone good. We want someone to take care of us. We want someone to be able to provide for us. So the people in the Bible, they actually um, said, they, they told God, God, we want a king. And this was kind of in in a, kind of like spitting in the face of God because what they're saying to God was, God, you're not enough. We want a human king for us. And God says, okay, if you want a king, let me give you a king. And throughout the scriptures, we see people um, trying to either be their own king or to have another human king. And we see over and over and over people letting their subjects down. So um, under our, our section, the long line of throne warmers, people that have tried to take the throne, the position of throne or in some capacity um, fulfill this role as a king. The first one is Adam. Um, he was... Um, the first, uh, you could say maybe the first king or first person established as king in history because in Genesis one we're told that Adam Adam was told, you're, supp- you're to have dominion over the earth, which means you're supposed to rule over it, you're supposed to have these things subject to you, and if you do a good job, that means that you are properly ruling as a king, but as we know, um, he disobeyed God, he was not able to have dominion over the earth like he should have. Um, and then we go out through, throughout the scriptures, and this is a um, very abbreviated version of all the all the kings in the in the Bible. But let's go to Judges. Um, we're actually going to talk about the judges in our sermon later. But um, Judges, this these are uh, so this the what happened was that the people of God they said um, they said God we want to be uh, blessed and and they would uh, live and then. They would fail, and God would send a deliverer. And these deliverers were the judges that are listed in the book of Judges. And over the course of the book, um, you see that there are uh, pretty much everyone. the The first judge, his name was Othniel. He uh, was a good was a good judge, but then um, the people they fell into sin again, and then um, they cried out to God for a deliverer. And then again, God would give him another judge. And uh, the pattern was that the judges got worse and worse. And at the end of the book of Judges, it says that there was no king in the land, that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So these people, they had a line of failed judges. Um, This brings us to the United Monarchy. And the United Monarchy are um, Saul, David, and Solomon. And this is, when we say United Monarchy, we mean that the the people of God were united as one people. And um, Saul was the first king. David was, uh, was the next king. Solomon was the next legitimate king. And then um, this brings us to the divided kingdom. And the divided kingdom, if you look in First and Second Kings, is the people of God splits, and there are two tribes. Um, so if you look in First and Second Kings, you see just um, the succession of kings. And um, some of them may have been good kings. Um, a lot of them were not good kings. And all of them had failed as kings, either through sin or, well, it was through sin, or they couldn't subdue their people, They're the people of God were rebellious. So throughout scriptures, we see this failure after failure after failure. The people of God were always disappointed. So um, we, so these people, the people of God, they've always wanted a king. They've always wanted someone that could properly rule over them. But we see just um, the opposite of that. Um, but God has hope for his people and um, we see this in First Chronicles and Second Samuel, where God promises David. He says, "There's going to be, there's going to come someone from your line who's going to be 
a good king who will rule forever. So David knew this, and the people of God knew that there has to be someone better than what we have. I'm going to ask um, Christine, can I have you read First Chronicles 17? All right, thanks. And this is also a very similar um, promise is given in Second Samuel. So um, there is there is this promise to David and to other people that there is going to come someone who is going to establish his throne forever, who will be a good king that, that's going to do everything that all the human kings could not do. So um, to understand the the significance of this promise, we need to look at the pillars of the Israelite faith. So the first one, I have this down here, they're underlined. First was the temple. This is where the, the glory of God uh, dwelled. Um, so this is, the temple was the center of all life for Israel. The second was the Davidic monarchy. This is the king that would rule over the people of God. So um, here's some history. Um, in 586 BC, Jerusalem, Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed by Babylon and Judah, um, the people of God, were exiled to Babylon. Um, about 50 years later, 538 B.C., the exiles began returning to their, their homeland, the Promised Land. And then in 516 B.C., the temple was rebuilt. And we'll see, we see this in, um, in the scriptures where um, finally the, the old temple was destroyed, but a new temple was built. It was not as amazing or glorious as the old temple, but it still functioned as a temple for the people of God, a place where the people of God could gather and worship God. So the temple, it was gone, but now it's restored. But the Davidic monarchy, it ended with with Solomon. And and this is where we're missing something. So one of the pillars of of, uh, the faith of the the Israelites was, um, was there was restored the second one was not so where is this davidic king that was promised um so if we look at psalm 72 we see that we see description of uh a king and then some of these fall in line with the characteristics of solomon king solomon like um he was uh for the most part a good king um it talks about how his land was um expansive and then there's a um there's there's a little story in the in in the Bible where where I, I forget the one of the queens she's admiring how far um, Solomon's kingdom reaches it's from sea to sea and it seems like you know in in olden days like if you're going from sea to sea that's like basically the whole world but the, uh, this psalm it reaches further than that and it's saying it's not only from sea to sea this is for the entire world so I have this um, little. Uh, um, note here, the royal psalms, um, Psalm 2, Psalm 72, there are a few other royal psalms in the in the book of Psalms, are not descriptions of any particular historical situation, but an ideological picture of God's intention for the nations against the backdrop of historical reality. The book of Psalms is used to, is to be used as a manual for instructing ancient Israelites and us how to live in the absence of a Davidic king. So these Israelites, they knew something was missing, and that 
something was a king, some someone to make all things right, something someone to uh, rule with justice. Um, and Psalm and, and the Book of Psalms, uh, it's telling us this is how to live the happy, blessed life, and this is what God does for those who obey Him. Um, but there is something missing. This is the king. And how do you live life in in light of the fact that this king is missing? So how do we live life um, when in our own situations, when it seems like our own situation is out of control, when it seems like the nations are in turmoil, when with all this political and economic instability, how do we live in a life that seems like it's gone to hell? Um, who do we look to? Where do we look to? And the book of Psalms is telling us, this is how you do it. And not only that, but there's a hope for for your situation. Okay? Any questions or comments at this point? Does it kind of make sense? Okay, I'm going to go to um, the characteristics of the king. So, um, I just, I went through the psalm, uh, through the psalm, and I just pulled out some of the characteristics of the king. So, <coughs> this king in, that Psalm 72 is talking about, he judges the oppressor and executes justice for the poor. Look at verses 1 through 4. Um, it says that this king is a judge. He judges with justice. Um, he brings prosperity to his people. He defends the poor and the needy. And this is what the good king does, is he is fair to his subjects. And those that commit evil, he says he will crush them. And to those who are needy and oppressed, God says... I am going to serve them. I'm going to make things right for them. I'm going to bless them. Um, he blesses his subjects, our second characteristic. Um, we see this in, um, uh, well, we see this in verses uh, three. He gives them prosperity. Um, and uh, verse 17, may people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. So this is a king who rules and not, there will not be any any faction that tries to work against him that tries to uh, to knock him off his throne because all everyone benefits from him being on the throne. Everyone benefits from this good king ruling over them. Um, he rules over the entire world. Um, verse um, uh, verse nineteen. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. The entire world is covered with his glory. He makes the land flourish. Um, may there be, verse 16, um, may there be abundance of grain in the land on the tops of the mountains. May it wave. May its fruits be like Lebanon. May people blossom in the cities like grass in the fields. So there is this picture of um, nature flourishing and there's this picture of people flourishing. Um, they're thriving because things are as they should be. His renown is forever. Verse 19 again, blessed is be his glorious name forever. So the whole earth knows this king. The whole earth blesses this king. The whole earth admires this king. Um, I think of um, uh, who was born. It was uh, um, Kate and William's um, baby uh, of uh, in Britain. Um, this baby was born a great fanfare just a few weeks ago. Like the whole world had its eyes on this royal couple and everyone was so excited that this baby was born. And th and they're like, oh, that baby's so gorgeous. And it looks like such a beautiful family when they walked out of the hospital with uh, with the baby in their hand. And the whole nation of England was rejoicing at the fact 
that this this um, prince is born. Um, but there is the thing with this prince is he's at at some point he's gonna people are gonna find out he's a jerk. They're gonna find out that he is selfish. They're gonna find out that he cannot be the perfect person that they want him to be. When it's a baby, he's not he hasn't messed up yet, so it's easy to admire someone like that. But then in Psalm seventy two, it's talking about a guy, a king who is. Um, completely perfect in the way he rules. He will never disappoint his subjects. And the whole earth will go, yes, this is our king. This is the person that we look up to. All adoration goes to him. Um, his glory fills his kingdom. Again, um, the greatness of of this king is is expansive. There's not any, There's not one square inch of this kingdom that is not filled with his glory. So, um, who is this talking about? It's not, it's talking kind of about King Solomon because he fulfilled some of these characteristics, but ultimately it's talking about Jesus, Jesus the true king. Um, I'm gonna have, uh, let's go around again. Um, uh, Aikman, can you read John 12, 13? And this is talking about Jesus the true king. So he took out branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the ma- name of the Lord even the king of Israel. All right, so people, the people of Israel, they recognize that here, this King Jesus, he's someone special. They're blessing him. Um, at this point, not isn't, the whole world doesn't yet know that Jesus is king of the whole world. Um, Colossians 2.15, Harry, can I have you read that? And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. All right, thanks. Look at, um, look at Colossians 2.15, verses... Psalm 2 that I have uh, for you on, in, in the handout. Um, there are people rising up against the true king. There are people trying to live independent of God. Um, these are the people that Jesus conquers. Not only them, but spiritual forces, spiritual darkness. Uh, here it says that Jesus disarms rulers and authorities. And actually, in uh, later, um, I think in Colossians 2.16, it talks about him triumphing over evil powers and there is not going to be anyone that's going to be able to stand up to king jesus um whatever weapons they have they're going to jesus it says here they're disarmed they're going to be ripped out of their hands and they're going to have nothing to go against the true king um, michael can i have you read Re- revelation 21 or um can i have lisa read revelation twenty one sixteen, please All right, so here is this um, Jesus described as he's not merely the king of Israel at this point. Um, he is a king of everyone. He's a king of everything, and this is recognized of him. Um, there is no person who is not subject to him. And finally, we end with this uh, amazing verse in Revelation, amazing passages in Revelation 21, 3 through 5. Uh, can I have um, Melissa read that, please? voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and god himself will be with them as their god he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said behold i am making all things new all right thanks so this is the description of our true king and if you look at it against psalm 72 um, this is God, our King Jesus, dwelling with his people. This is him um, 
executing justice for the poor and the oppressed, wiping away every tear. He's making all things new. His glory fills the, the this place where he dwells. It's filled with his glory. Um, there's not going to be. This is going to be the kingdom as God has always intended. This is going to be filled with people who delight in the law of the Lord, who delight in the fact that they are subject to the King, and He sits on His throne. And he says, Behold, I am making all things new. And for all the people that are disappointed in their kings and rulers and um, authority figures and just anyone that they've ever trusted, Jesus is saying, All that disappointment, all that frustration, all that anger will be wiped away because Jesus is making all things new. And I'm going to close this lesson with them. Um, it's a song. It's a 10-minute song. So I don't know if you guys have heard like 10-minute songs before. But this is a song that talks about how the world was, um, how we all know that there's supposed to be a king that rules with justice, a king that makes things right. But in this world, we're all disappointed. We're all frustrated. We're all um, broken by how messed up this world is. And this is a... So I'm going to play for you. This is a song by a guy named Andrew Peterson, and we're going to end with this. Um, and I have the lyrics of the song in the, on the last sheet of, the, of this handout. So you can listen along and at least just think of this true king that we have as we listen to it. Okay. There we go.
the um, title of that song comes from a quote. Um, uh, a guy, I forgot who said it, but um, the quote is, the worst moment for an atheist is when he is truly thankful but has no one to thank. And I think that for we, we as Christians, we when we see goodness, we know who to thank. And when we see badness, we know who we can look to to make all things right. And this is the hope that the Royal Psalms gives us, is that whatever situation we're in, there is a day coming when this king will come for us and he's going to make all things right. Um, so that is uh, the promise that we have here. Any comments or questions before we close in prayer? Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this incredible promise that um, that we have, that we have a true king that will that's ruling over us now and will one day rule over the entire world bringing justice to us, bringing um, blessing to us, God. So we look forward to that day. Come back soon, Lord Jesus. And we ask for your um, continued presence with us as we worship with the rest of the congregation in Sunday service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.